on yet? Here we go. All right. Good morning again. You can hear me now. <laughs> I'm so happy to be with you this morning, Fredericksburg. So happy to be with you. I miss you guys. I'll see you soon um, online. So great to have you this morning. God has a word, but before we go into that, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, how amazing you are. God, I've prepared but that's only the seed, Father. I pray that you provide the watering and the increase in this room for our Fredericksburg campus, oh God, an online campus, Lord. We thank you, God, for knowing what everyone needs, and we understand, God, that your word can meet us and will meet us where we are. Thank you for doing that today. Through your word, guide us in this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My name is Lou Bonami. I am one of the campus worship leaders here at the Mount. I'm happy to be with you this morning. I believe that God has a word to share with the unbeliever and also the believer in whatever stage you are in your faith, right? Because we can never truly exhaust the height and depth of the word of God. I mean, he's, he's just too big. And um, that's what's great about it because we can explore his word and, and, and really get to know the God that we serve. And so Pastor Adam called me about four weeks ago. He said, Lou, would you mind sharing, sharing on October 23rd? And I paused for a minute because I thought, oh man, if I say yes to this, I know immediately I will begin to start, I will start walking out exactly what the Lord wants to speak to us about today. And that's exactly what happened. Some of you know that I recently re retired from the military after 23 years of service in the Marine Corps. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We got, we got some Marines in the room. All right. Um, and... Um, you know, I, 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 I actually had my retirement ceremony in September, but I understood and knew at that pivotal point in my life, in this transition or time of transition, I said to God this. I said, Lord, I spent the first 42 years of my life doing whatever I want to do. I want to spend the rest doing everything you want me to do. Yeah. And so that is exactly where this message today finds us. If I can use this aisle and, and, and here as an intersection, I'm at an intersection in my life. I'm at a transitional period in my life. I'm at a point where my identity has shifted. My position has shifted. Who I am or who I have been over the past 23 years, even as a dad, that's shifted, right? Because I've got teenagers now. I've got a dude that's about to dr start driving, right? And, and, and all those things. You have these sort of all these transition decision points right in our lives. And that's why I find myself at this point. And I believe that everyone can, can really benefit from what the Lord wants to share um, because your transitional experience may look different from mine. It, you may be may a, a recently graduated high school or college student and you're trying to figure out what to do, right, what direction to go in. So you're praying about that and you're waiting for God to answer. You might be uh, engaged to be married and, and you're a little nervous. You're like, God, how, how do I navigate this space? Maybe you just brought home a new baby or maybe you just, uh, uh, you, you, you have a new teenager at home. Right? All these things are transitional periods right in our lives where our relationships, they begin to change. And we have to consider or ask God, Lord, in this place, what is it that you want me to do? Lord, please guide me. So I think that we all come to this question just as I have in this transitional period in my life. God, what do I do now? I, I have a plan and plenty to do. 
but I'm very intentional about what exactly God wants me to do because I don't want to waste any more time trying to figure out if I'm on the right path. So I'm very intentional in this season of my life to say, God, what do I do? How many of you are asking that same question today? What is your, yep, what is your transitional period looks like? What does your intersection look like? In your, what does that look like in your life? This reminded me of Peter. If we're going soon, we're going to go to John uh, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19 to look at this. Think about it. At this point in the scripture, in the account of John, we find the disciples who were called, right? Their life surrendered to God. They, they lived this sort of nomadic experience of, of this following Jesus and this experience of being with him physically every single day. He teaches them and tells them, hey, one day I will leave you. That's one phase of their walk with God. And don't realize that when he dies, they will enter a new phase, this transitional period. They will enter that point in their, in, 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 in their Christian walk, in their journey. But I don't think they really took time to consider it because right here in John 21, we find Peter with, with other disciples and some sons of disciples Peter goes, and I believe his body posture was something like this, slunched over, just don't know what to do. Jesus appeared to us once, twice, and, I'm, I'm, and we're just trying to figure out this space, and he goes, guys, I'm, I think I'm going to go fishing. I, I just, I just got to go fishing. A lot is on Peter's mind, right? A lot on the disciples' minds as well. Like, look, we just, Jesus just died. He, he resurrected, appeared to us once, appeared to us twice. He breathed on us and said, hey, the Holy Spirit will come. Then he vanishes again in the third time when Peter says, I'm, I'm just going to go fishing. And the guys say, you know what, hey, bro, we're going with you. So they're out on the water, and that's where we find ourselves here in John 21, chapter, uh, chapter 21, verse 15. I'll start reading. Here we go. It says, when they finish eating... Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus happened to find Peter exactly where he found him initially, in a boat, in the water. But Jesus called him out of that into something else, but he reverted right back to where he was. See, Peter was at this transition point. The disciples were at this transition point where emotionally they were stuck in this place. How many of you feel stuck in this place, find that you're reverting back to where God found you because you want to go back to what's common because that's comfortable? Continuing to read, continuing here to read, he says, Simon, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lamb. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went 
where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. In this time of transition in my life, I've been praying every single day consistently, persistently, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, without ceasing, God, what do I do? What do I do in this moment? And then one day, three days after praying that desperate prayer, I, I'm walking upstairs into my bedroom. I clear the threshold of the door, and I take four steps into my room, and I hear God's voice. Speak directly to my heart. He says, Lou, follow me. I'm excited. I said, "Woo! I finally got God. Now, I didn't get him. God finally spoke to me. He gave me a command. But you can imagine, so excited, and I stopped. I said, wait, that was only a command. Where are the instructions? God, what do you mean by follow me? Aren't I following? I'm following you now. I follow, I, I follow, I, I've been following you all this time, God. What do you mean by follow me? A little frustrated. And at that moment, I realized that I entered what I call the disciple bee. You know what that is. It's like a spelling bee, right? But for disciples, right? Where God gives you a command with no instructions and you have to walk out the command to receive the instructions. So if God is the proctor and I'm the contestant, here I am. Over these four weeks, I'm walking out something that became very instructional for me, something that became very practical to me. What I'd like to do is share this with you, not a prescriptive way of following God, but more descriptive, because that might look different in your life. But I think through this, we're going to see through the example of Paul who says, imitate me. Join and imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're going to see that in the example of Jesus in John 5, who only did and say what the Father instructed. So here I am, Fredericksburg, online, in this disciple be. God, as a, as a proctor, I'm the contestant. And God says, spell the word follow. Just like Peter, I'm, I'm hurt. God, are you serious? Anyone, in my mind that is, anyone who has more than a third grade education can spell the word follow. So what are you talking about? But I stopped and paused to consider the proctor. Because if God said this, that has to be more to it. So I go because I can ask a follow-up question in a spelling bee, so in a disciple bee, I can do the same thing, right? So I say, Lord, can I get the definition and part of speech? <laughs> then God being the proctor, he says this, follow a verb, meaning to come and go after, proceed behind, to go after and pursue or to put under surveillance. I'm like, in my mind, I'm at the mic, this is prayer time. God, that didn't help me at all. So I asked another follow-up question, follow-up question. This is our prayer life, right? This is how we're persistently trying to get the instructions that when God gives us a command at our transitional point, this is how we, how we get the instruction. I, I'm, I'm there, I'm persistent. I say, God, I have another follow-up question before I spell this. 
can I get the NIV definition? (laughs) Can I get the scriptural definition of what follow means? And here's what God the proctor says. Here's what God the proctor says. He says, follow, follower, a noun. Say, yes, all right, we're getting somewhere now. He says, the noun follower is seldom used in scripture for people of, for the people of God, possibly due to the frequent references of or to idol worship or those following evil desires. God the proctor continues and he says, for the Israelites, people of the promise and the covenant to follow God was a matter of both trust and obedience. God the proctor continues and he says, the New Testament believers were exhorted to follow the Lord's commandments and sound doctrine, much like the Israelites were to observe the law in the Old Testament. The proctor continues. He says, discipleship was initiated by the explicit command, follow me. All who wished to follow Christ were confronted by a narrow door of absolute authority. To follow meant to submit to the personal lordship of Jesus Christ. The proctor continues. He says, follow also meant complete identification with the life of Jesus Christ. It meant forsaking home, all means of income. The disciples were to share in Christ's life in ministry. The proctor continues. He says, in, in John's account, he depicts this relational aspect of following Jesus. The disciples experienced the shepherding care, a reverse sort of teacher-pupil relationship. Jesus washed their feet, called them friends, and commissioned them to do the work. Fredericksburg, you still with me? And then the, 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 the proctor continues to say, he says, concreteness in discipleship was realized in a new note of imitation. The proctor said, or God says, Christians can imitate God's mercy in practicing forgiveness or copy Christ's example of suffering wrong after or excuse me, rather than inflicting it. He concludes with this. The proctor says, God says, furthermore, the church helped my model to model mature discipleship. Frequent Christian leaders, frequently Christian leaders provide this example for their people. Sometime a group of believers furnished a pattern for the larger church, such as Paul's invitation to the church to imitate him. At this point, in the disciple B, I'm like, okay, we're getting somewhere. But I'm not completely there. I can't spell the word follow. So the proctor reminds me, he says, Lou, the word is follow. Spell the word follow. So I'm praying and I'm asking God, Lord, break this down just a little bit more to me. And I realized that in the disciple B, what it really was and turned out to be was God's teaching moment. Are you in a teaching moment now? Right now in your life, are you in one of God's teaching moments? Has God given you a command, but you have to walk out the journey towards the instruction? How do you do that? We're going to talk about that because it's really all about your perspective, your positioning, and your posture. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Before we do, let me break down what I mean by posture. By posture, I mean your mental perspective. 
By posture, I mean your physical positioning. By posture, I mean your spiritual perspective. So what is your mental perspective? What is your physical positioning? Where are you? And what is your spiritual perspective? To break it down even further, we have to, to, to define what do we mean by a following posture. If we're talking about those who are unbelievers coming into the faith and those, those of us who are already in the faith, we have a following posture, which really comes down to, to two things, two themes. One is Christian leadership. And the second one is our relationship with God, with those who we love, whom we love or who we love, and those who God has called us to love. So then let's break this thing down. One more thing, let's break this one down. What does it mean to follow? And we're gonna really tease this out. To follow it means to surrender. We see that in our lives, right? The, the, the unbeliever where, where you sit, the unbeliever, here's the call to follow. And if you're a believer today, you understand what it means to have surrendered your life, to die, right, to your life, to step into God's grace and his mercy, the power of the cross, right, and to live that out. So, and then the last thing is intimacy, is what it means to follow. So again, the test proctor, the, 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 the disciple B proctor is still asking, spell the word follow. Spell the word follow. So in this time, in this journey, these four weeks, I was, I was kind of walking out this command, like, follow me. And I'm, I'm searching, God, what do I do? That question, right, that we all wrestle with, that we all just sort of keep as a prayer, this desperate prayer. I said, Lord, well, you sent me to, to read Paul, of Paul, and Paul's example of Christian leadership when he says, imitate me or join in imitating me as I imitate Christ. So then, then Paul, in, in, in that verse, all right, Philippians 3, 17, he points us to God and he says, Jesus, and he says, as I imitate Christ. So I, so I went to look at Christ in John uh, chapter 5, where Christ says, I only hear the thing, I only say what I hear my father say and do what I what my father instructs me to do. And I thought, God, I get that, but there's something more to this verse. There's something more to John, in, in John chapter five, where, where Jesus says this, what is it about? And after spending time in prayer, wrestling, and just, just, just reading the word, I said, Lord, it's intimacy. It's intimacy with you, it's unity with you, because we're talking about the humanity of Jesus, and he needed to be tethered to the Father to live a perfect life in this body. He needed to do that. So I said, Lord, I need a book. Someone's written on this. Someone has published on this. And so I sneak into Pastor Adam's room. I go to his, his library, and I look through the books. I, I, I don't find anything there. So I step out of there, and then... I'm going down the hall and I run into our executive pastor, Brian Bennett. I said, Brian, I'm looking for a book. I believe it's here. I believe it's here. Can I look or browse your library? He said, sure, Lou. So we go into his office and on the third shelf, on the bottom, I see this title, With. 
subtitle, Reimagining the Way You Relate to God by Sky Jethani or Jethani. And in this book, he begins to expound, really explore, tease out for me what it means to have the correct posture in my transitional moment. Because that's what's really important. We have to consider what our posture is. And so the author, he outlined these, these, these five different postures. Identities attached to a posture. I'm not going to go over all five, but maybe touch, uh, 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 I'll touch on four, but go over one. But I looked at these five postures and, and I came up with the followers posture zones. The first zone we find ourselves that we're following Christ is the calling zone. The second zone we find ourselves is the obedience and service zone. And the third zone is the relational and experiential zone. The calling zone is that identity as a sinner. And the posture of a sinner in that sort of walk in God or with God is life under God. If we're going to the obedience and service zone, that's where most Christians, we find ourselves in this zone. That is where we identify as a manager and our posture is life over God. Or we identify as a consumer and that's life from God. Or we position ourselves as a servant and that's a posture of life for God. But here's what the book, it argues or it really presses the Christian or challenges us to do. Same as the word. It says that we really want to get to this zone, the relational and experiential zone. That is the position of a follower. And our posture is that we live with or commune with God. So church, the word is follow. Spell the word follow. To accurately spell the word follow, we have to do three things. Number one, we need to adopt a biblical perspective of when eternal life begins. If I were to ask you that question, when does it begin? When does eternal life begin? Some of us will say after death and with the Father, you know, in, in our resurrected bodies. But can I tell you, looking at Paul's account of when, it, when that begins, he says in Philippians 1, verse 21, he says, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Eternal life, friends, begin when we confess our sins and live out the truth and hope of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it continues beyond our physical death. To accurately spell the word follow, we have to understand that when we receive Christ into our hearts and we die to ourselves to, 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 to receive him into our lives, that is when eternal life begins. So if we're to accurately spell the word follow, and we're in this zone of relational and experiential fellowship with God, we understand that when we receive him, he becomes, he comes, he, he's with us, right? With us now. So we can be with him later, after death. If you've received him into your heart, I'm here to tell you, friends, that you are now with God. To accurately spell the word follow, we have to change our perspective. And baptism. By the way, we're having baptisms on November 13 at all of our campuses. 
You can sign up at guest services or you can sign up on our, on, on our, um, on our website. But baptism, we immersed in water to symbolize the old way of living and a new start. We are, where where baptism is a testimony of God or to God and to the people that are witnessing this baptism. By faith, we're willing to live a life as an overcomer. Number one, to accurately spell the word follow, we need to adopt the biblical perspective of what it means to follow. Number two, if we're going to accurately spell the word follow, we need to take a new posture. I love this because um, in John chapter 5, where God led me there, he said, look, Christ took on the form of man, an incarnate God. And I thought, what an experience. In the humanity of God, this is what shows up. This is God's first experience in this stuff, in flesh. For it to be an authentic experience, right? For us to know that he was fully man, he had to fully experience what it meant to live in our bodies, in this body. So what did that mean? What does that mean? When he says, in John chapter 5, he says, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what he instructs me to do. I understand that he needed every single day his father's instructions. He's showing us right there how to live with God in this body. How to remain intimate with him in this body because without him, he couldn't do it. He could not. It's an example to us to say neither neither can we. We cannot live in this body without being tethered to God, waiting to hear what he says, waiting to do what he says to do. I believe that's why this model prayer That's why he gave it to us because he lived it out. He said, listen, when you pray, this is how you will pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day your daily bread because he actually needed it. He was in the flesh. He said, I can't do this today if I don't have your daily bread. The reason why he would hide away, get away from the the, the disciples to be alone with God He needed his daily bread. He was suffering and going through the same things we go through today. His human experience had to be authentic. And it was. He was fully man, fully God. Fully man, fully God. To accurately spell the word follow, we need to adopt a biblical perspective of when eternal life begins and to adopt a new posture. Number three, if we are going to accurately spell the word follow, we need to practice being with God and making it commonplace. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Is this possible? I asked. It is. 
because I thought about Paul and all his suffering and persecution. How is it that his hope, his joy remains intact? How is it that he continues to say, for the joy that's set before me? How is it that he's not shaken in his life? How is it that his legs, him and Silas, their legs were shackled down. Scholars say these shackles were made of, two, of a log. They cut in half. They cut out divots and had put their ankles in there. Then placed the top half of the log down on the second, on, on the bottom, and then they shackled that down. Just imagine the mobility, the lack of mobility that they had. Our legs go numb after sitting down for 15 minutes. The Bible doesn't even say how long they've been in these shackles. But you can worship in that? You can worship in that experience to the point that it shakes and rattles the walls to the point where it brings a guard to salvation? What is that? Paul was practicing being with God and it was commonplace. In my life, I saw this model through my mom and my dad. Parents of nine children. They would go behind the grocery stores every single Sunday to pick food out the trash to, to feed us. But when my mom was in the kitchen, in the middle of cooking, her hands would go up and she'd say, praise God, glory to God. My dad, walking down our short hallway in, in our house, his hand, he would just stop and just lift his hands and say, glory be to God. I asked my parents, why do you do that? My mom said, son, one day you'll understand. I'm so glad that I saw that model because that is exactly how I live today. I can be in the aisle of Walmart pushing a cart. And I'm like, no, God, no, God, not right here, not right now. And, my, and I start crying, my like, God, I feel you. This is a moment that we're going to have. Okay, let's have it. Let's have this moment. Because I feel you, God. And everything I do, I feel him. I remember in boot camp at the rifle range, first experience away from home, I'm like, Lord, I know you're here. I know you're here, God. Kiss my cheek, Father. And a breeze would come by. I said, God, I know that's you. It's possible to be in constant, constant fellowship, constant uh, communication with God. It is possible so now I find myself at the end of the B, disciple B, and the proctor, God, he asked the question, or he states, spell the word follow. And church, I want you to spell the word follow with me. So how do we spell the word follow? It's on the screen. Let's spell it together. B-E-W-I-T-H-M-E. E. When God says, follow me, he's saying, son, daughter, please be with me. Be with me. There's no more veil. There's no more barrier between us and God. We have to jump from this zone of service and obedience, which is commanded by the word and step into this place that requires stillness. Step into this place that requires us to listen. Step into this place that requires us to be with God.
Yeah. Again, this, this isn't prescriptive. It's descriptive in nature. But if you want to find a prayer group, Miss Betsy and Mr. Carl, they have prayer here every single Tuesday. Our lead elder, Todd Pierpoint, is here in the mornings at 4.30 to pray. If that's not you, you can speak to Karen and, and she can connect you to a group where you can practice being with God. Or if it's something you want to do on your own, make time to go from the calling zone to the service and obedience zone to the experiential and relational zone. Follow me is what he's saying. Be with God, church. Be with God, Fredericksburg. Be, on, be with God online. God bless you. Glory.